Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. If you have not picked up my book, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, make sure you do that. I think it's 30% off on Amazon right now. So if you've already bought a book for yourself, buy a book for your sister or your friend or your mom. And this week, if you are a part of Women's Book Club with Ali Stuckey, I am going to, and that's on Facebook, by the way, if you want to join, but I am going to release a downloadable PDF for you to print off and for you to use with your friends if you want to go through this book together. So I highly encourage you to do that. If that is something that you are interested in, again, you can go to Amazon or AllieBethStuckey.com slash book and you can find all the places where you can purchase online. Someone sent me a picture of their Barnes & Noble in Seattle where this was actually like front and center on their display table and that made me really excited because people in Seattle, y'all, they probably need this book more than anyone else. Okay, today I am going to go through some of the latest news. I mean, it is crazy out there. I never have time to cover all the things that I want to cover with all of this madness that is raging in our streets, but I'm going to do the best job that I can. First, I want to talk about some good news. It is not very often that we get to talk about good news outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That seems to be the only good news sometimes uh, when it comes to the things that are happening in this country, but there is some good news. So this is according to the Associated Press, quote, Nearly 40 missing or endangered children have been rescued by federal and state agents during a law enforcement operation in Georgia, authorities say. The U.S. Marshals Service announced Thursday that 13 missing children were found and an additional 26 endangered children were rescued during the two-week operation centered on Atlanta and a city to its south, Macon. The missing children were considered to be, quote, some of the most at-risk and challenging recovery cases, and some were likely victims of child child sex trafficking, child exploitation, abuse, and had medical or mental health conditions, authorities said. That is just devastating. The article goes on to say that there are 300 children that are trafficked in Atlanta every year. I've seen the question going around asking, why is this happening in Georgia more than other places? Well, that's because Atlanta is a hub for international travel, for national travel. The Atlanta airport is huge, has a ton of flights coming in and going out every day. And Atlanta just is an international hub. And it's obviously very populous. And so it can be easier for this to happen there. The same is true in LA. The same is true in DFW, wherever there is a very populous city. Unfortunately, this is happening. And if you uh, if you follow anyone who is in the industry of fighting against sex trafficking, of uh, of taking down these sex traffickers and, and breaking up these rings, you know that this is a multi-step process that involves uh, local law enforcement, uh, local law enforcement, state authorities, nonprofit organizations, district attorneys, district judges, just to rescue these children. You can't just go into one of these apartments or these houses where this is happening, bust the door down and rescue these kids just as a random person. It is a big, long process with multiple spokes that go into the hub of the wheel in order to make this happen. And this is reason number a million why law enforcement is so important. And this is why, by the way, this story wasn't front page news on every outlet. It actually took several days for 
some media outlets, mainstream media outlets to report this. This was not the number one story at CNN or MSNBC because it shows how important and how good law enforcement is. This is one of the main reasons why we need law enforcement without the police, without the local police. You get more uh, sex trafficking, you get more uh, child abuse, you get more uh, child molestation, uh, you get more drug trafficking, you get more violence, you get more murder. Law enforcement is there to not only protect uh, potential victims, but also to save the victims of this kind of violence and exploitation. So I'm just so thankful to the Lord for our law enforcement. Let us just remember that when we talk about these fatal shootings, that uh, most of the time are uh, justified because the criminal is resisting arrest. On very rare occasions, uh, there is a situation in which it is not justified, like with Justine Day or the woman in Arlington, Texas, who last year a police officer shot at her dog and accidentally killed her. Those tragic situations do exist, but only 0.01% of all interactions between law enforcement and citizens end in some kind of fatal shooting or fatal interaction. And so the vast majority, 99.9%, of police interactions in this country end peacefully for uh, for the criminal. And so our law enforcement is incredible. This is what they want to do. They want to save people's life, uh, lives. They never want to have to shoot an accused person. They never want to have to shoot a suspect. They don't want to be the next headline. They don't want to be the next reason why people are writing and burning things down. Um, yes, of course, there are bad cops. Yes, of course, the police unions can protect police officers that probably should be let go. Are there racist cops? I'm sure there are. Unfortunately, there are all kinds of different sinful people in every industry in the country. And we know that police officers bear an even bigger responsibility. And so any kind of hate or bias that a police officer holds in their heart obviously is going to translate into bad policing. All of that is true. But we have to also be thankful uh, for the good reasons that law enforcement exists. And we should do everything we can to show our appreciation for them. Um, I know the families of these children who were rescued Thank God. Praise the Lord for that. I know that they are thankful for law enforcement. Remember, taking away law enforcement, abolishing the police, like millionaire rapper uh, Chance the Rapper suggested on Twitter, uh, that affects the least of these. That affects the most vulnerable. That affects the poor. That affects children. That affects the disabled, the elderly, the single mom, more than it affects anyone else. You are not going to hurt the rich. You're not going to hurt uh, the people who have power. You are not going to hurt the people who are in safe neighborhoods. They're going to be able to hire private security. The people you are hurting by disbanding or directing funds away from law enforcement are the most vulnerable populations. That is why According to Gallup, 81 percent of uh, of black people in America want to retain or increase the police presence in their neighborhoods. And so suggesting that we need to minimize the police in order to eliminate the 0.01 percent of instances in which uh, a police interaction ends fatally. It's just naive. It is. And it, honestly, it's it's privileged because you are forgetting about the people that are most affected by that, of course. 
We know that Joe Biden has called for not defunding the police, but redirecting funding away from police departments. When asked, this is according to FoxNews.com, when asked during a now this interview with activist uh, A.D. Barkin, if he agrees uh, that we can uh, redirect some of the police funding, Biden responds, yes, absolutely. And I will play that video now just so uh, you can believe me. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding. Yes, absolutely. And of course, we've had Kamala Harris talk about reimagining the police force. We have members of Congress in the Democratic Party, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, uh, talking about the importance of reimagining the police in a way that uh, looks completely different than it does now. And AOC actually said explicitly that defunding the police means defunding the police. Bill de Blasio redirected a billion dollars away from the NYPD, even as homicide and violent crime is surging in New York City uh, at a rate that we have not seen in decades. And yet we have Democratic Congress people. We have the candidate for uh, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, saying that we need to at least take some money away from police departments. Here is Ilhan Omar, Democratic representative from Minnesota, calling for the abolition of the police department in Minneapolis. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. And then, of course, here she is calling for the complete transformation of America and calling for these two things definitely go hand in hand. We must begin the work dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. And here is Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley, another member of the squad on MSNBC, saying that there will be unrest in the streets as long as there is unrest in our lives. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. And unfortunately, there's plenty to go around. So even as they are calling for the redirecting, at least, of funds from the police department, or defunding the police altogether, as AOC has said, uh, they are calling for unrest in the streets. And just as a reminder, Kenosha, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, Oakland, Atlanta, D.C., they have seen these violent riots. Some of these cities have been burned to the ground thanks to left-wing anarchists who are a part of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Uh, we are talking about ruining the lives and livelihoods of people who committed no crime in these cities. That is the definition, as we talked about on Monday, of injustice. If you have not listened to Monday's episode, we continued our election series. We've talked about abortion, religious liberty. We talked about the importance of justice, what it actually is and what it isn't and what it looks like and what the Trump administration has done in the way of justice and what I'm afraid the Biden administration will not do in the way of justice. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. We talked about the statistics surrounding police brutality and some of the false narratives. So go listen to that if you have not. Um, about 30 people have died in these riots that are happening, including a black 16 year old Antonio Mays, who was murdered by a member of Chaz, that Antifa autonomous zone in Seattle over the summer, and a black eight year old little girl, Sequoia Turner, who was murdered by a Black Lives Matter uh, riot, a Black Lives Matter writer in Atlanta. 
We don't hear their names from Black Lives Matter. No one is saying hashtag say their names. We don't have celebrities or uh, social justice Christians on Instagram posting a black square for these people who have died. Their outrage and their sadness is very selective. We are talking about these groups, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, murdering innocent people, and you still have the Democratic Party propping them up, refusing to call them out by name and say, hey, this needs to end. We'll talk about Joe Biden's speech at the end of this, but he did not go so far as to say that these are the groups that are causing the violence and it needs to end because these are their voters. AOC and Rashida Tlaib are expressly pushing back against the federal government, trying to help the cities riddled by crime. Remember, every single one of these cities, by the way, that is experiencing this surge in crime and experiencing these riots are run by Democrats because if a Democratic city is not being dominated by left wing riots right now, they're being dominated by violent crime. Thanks to the mayors of these cities taking funds away from the police and very often telling them to stand down. So Trump's DOJ launched something called Operation Relentless Pursuit last year and this year launched Operation Legend. We talked about that. On Monday, Operation Relentless Pursuit increases the number of federal officers in cities that are seeing high rates of gang violence and drug trafficking, like the city of Detroit. Operation Legend is also a federal operation that helps cities fight violent crime. It was named after a four-year-old named Legend who was killed in Kansas City when he was uh, he was shot dead while he was sleeping in his bed in his own home. A couple of weeks ago, Attorney General uh, Bill Barr announced that there have been over 1,000 arrests under Operation Legend, including suspects in 90 murders in America's most violent cities. This is a good thing. Like, this is what justice actually looks like, paying back the evildoer. This is what Romans 13 looks like when uh, the Lord says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. They are supposed to reward those who do good and punish those who do bad. This is what Operation Legend is about, and this is a good thing. This is justice. It is very hard for authorities to prosecute gang violence. We've talked about this because of witness intimidation that goes on and because gangs have a policy of not snitching on people, which means that most victims of gang violence and uh, crimes involving drug trafficking never see justice. The, the perpetrators go free. And that is not justice. That is that is wicked and evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it should be in our eyes, too. I am a huge Bill Barr fan. I've talked to you guys about this before. He is committed to enforcing the law against criminals to upholding religious liberty across the country and ensuring our constitutional uh, constitutional rights are protected. So I'm just very thankful for this Justice Department, especially in going after violent crime that is disproportionately affecting poor communities and children. But AOC and Rashida Tlaib fought against these operations, according to the Detroit News, quote, Tlaib and Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez helped pass an amendment to House uh, Resolution 7617 on Friday that would prohibit the IRS from using funds to send federal agents into U.S. cities as part of Operation Legend and Operation Relentless Pursuit, which have led to clashes between federal agents and protesters in cities like Portland, Oregon. Um, Of course, that did not pass, thankfully. I'm sure the victims' families and the potential victims are thankful that these operations are underway. The AOC and Rashida Tlaib did not get their way. um, And these operations were able to secure millions of dollars of funding. So 
That is very good news. Uh, We don't have to wonder, obviously, why crime is surging, why riots are uh, waging in these left wing areas. It is the result of liberal policies of liberal people like AOC and Rashida Tlaib, who are soft on crime in the name of equality and social justice. They tell their um, these uh, local officials in these cities, they tell their police to stand down. They prohibit the police in a lot of cases from monitoring certain neighborhoods. The district attorney let crime slide. The judge issues light sentencing or all of the above sometimes happens to create this storm of violent crime. Bail reform, uh, though I agree it may be needed in some way. I, I don't think it's fair, at least on the surface, that there are people that are in prison right now who have not been convicted of a crime, but they're there because they could not afford to make bail. So I understand that that is unfair and it seems unjust. And so I agree that there may need to be some reforms, but we see when that reform goes too far, we see what happens in places like uh, New York City. According to Politico, for the first three months, the law was in effect. So they did sweeping bail reform um, starting in April 2019. So Politico says for the first three months, the law was in effect. From January through March, New York's jail population dropped sharply. At the end of 2019, the jail population across the state was close to 20,000. For the first three months of 2020, it was around 15,000 and continuing to shrink. A number of hate crimes, though, had shaken New York over the holidays, including a woman who was arrested three times for assaulting Orthodox Jewish women in one week in Brooklyn. Outlets noted that she had been released from jail under the state's new bail reform laws. In early March, the NYPD released a report showing that crime in February 2020 was up 22.5 percent compared with February 2019. In the report, the department explicitly blamed the uptick on criminal justice reforms, including the bail reform law. According to the department, in the first two months of the year, 482 uh, people who had been arrested on charges were where cash bail was prohibited, went on to commit 846 new crimes. So the prison population went down after bail reform, but the crimes went up and people who were released from jail under this bail reform went on to continue to commit crimes. New York City uh, this year, as I already said, redirected funds away from the NYPD. L.A., Portland, Minneapolis, Austin, um, they all did the same thing. Now, what's interesting about Austin is that the mayor of Austin, he decided that he was going to direct a bunch of money away from the Austin Police Department, but he was going to continue to have taxpayers pay for his private security. And he used the funds that were going towards the police to go toward abortion logistics. So talk about being the opposite of uh, caring for life at all. I love when Democrats say that they care for all life. Uh, Show me, show me the show me the data. Um, And it's not a coincidence that in these cities that are redirecting funds away from their police departments, but of course, retaining their own private security or maintaining their own security that is paid for by the taxpayer, you are seeing a spike in murder and other kinds of violent crime, including in many of these cities, violent riots. The leftist media and the Democrats have spent three months Ignoring these riots, pretending that they do not exist, calling all of them peaceful protesters so that if you criticized the riots, they made it seem like you were criticizing the peaceful protest. Um, They made it seem like 
if you criticize these looters and uh, these rioters that you are against talking about racism or you are against justice, they have conflated that purposefully to make it very difficult and unpopular for you to criticize the looters. Um, But this is according to the New York Times. So the New York Times, I thought, ran a very fair article about what is happening in Seattle. We might have talked about this article a few weeks ago, but this shows you the effects of the violent riots and the vandalism and the intimidation that these left-wing rioters are using um, in cities like Seattle and how it is affecting law-abiding citizens and why, again, all of this is not justice. So... And this is according to the New York Times. Mayor of Seattle, Jenny Durkin, said that it was the summer of love there in CHOP. Remember, that's, uh, well, it was CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone there in Seattle. This was Antifa, BLM. They basically set up this area where there would be no police and where they would have this, like, peaceful zone of activism, or at least that's what they said. And and Mayor Jenny Durkin said that that's exactly what it was, um, that it was just going to be a summer of love. But there was a teenager that was murdered there and business owners were intimidated by Black Lives Matter to not open their stores, according to The New York Times. Faisal Khan uh, was being told by the news media and his own mayor that the protests in his hometown were peaceful with a, quote, block party atmosphere. But that was not what he saw through the windows of his Seattle coffee shop. He saw encampments overtaking the sidewalks. He saw roving bands of masked protesters smashing windows and looting. They barricaded us all in here, Mr. Khan said, and they were sitting in lawn chairs with guns. For 23 days in June, about six blocks in the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood were claimed by left-wing demonstrators and declared police-free. Protesters hailed it as a liberation and a catalyst for a national movement. Leaders in many progressive cities are listening. And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has announced a plan to shift $1 billion out of, pol- out of the police budget. The Minneapolis City Council is pitching, uh, pitching a major reduction, and Seattle City Council is pushing for a 50% cut to police department funding. Some even call for, quote, abolishing the police altogether and closing down precincts, which is what happened in Seattle. On Capitol Hill, businesses uh, crashed as the Seattle police refused to respond to calls in the area. Many are nervous about speaking out lest they lend ammunition to a conservative critique of the Black Lives Matter movement. Elizabeth Snow McDougall, the owner of a business there, emphasized her support for the cause before describing the damage done to her business. One window broke. Then another, then another, then another garbage to clean off the sidewalk in front of the store every morning, urine to wash out of the doorway alcove, graffiti to remove, cost to board up and later will have costs to repair. The employees of Bergman's Lock and Key say they were followed by demonstrators with baseball bats. Cure Cocktail, a local bar and charcuterie, said its uh, workers were asked by protesters to pledge loyalty to the movement. Another business owner, John McDermott, was driving his wife home from their anniversary dinner when he received a call from a neighbor who saw someone trying to break into his shop. And so they ran over. A man was inside the shop. He emptied the cash drawer and was trying to set the building on fire. 
Mr. McDermott tried to wrestle the man down and planned to hold him until the police arrived. Um, but a mob came for Mr. McDermott, told him he was the KKK, doxed him, uh, put his name and address on a on a website so that called Cop Callers. And it's a list of people who called the cops on these Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioters. And uh, they're using intimidation to keep him quiet. The experience of the small business owners seems a universe away from the rhetoric of Seattle's politicians. As the violence turned deadly, Councilwoman uh, Kashama Sawant, who represents Capitol Hill, defended the protesters' use of their own armed guards. Jenny Durkin, still to this day is in complete denial of her incompetence, even though a 16-year-old black young man, Antonio Mays, was murdered inside of Chaz. Jay Inslee, the Democratic governor of Washington, is proving himself totally inept. Ted Wheeler, the liberal mayor of Portland, even while people are dying in his streets, even while his city is now going on 100 days of arson and violent riots and people dying and property damage and businesses shut down, has yet again rejected President Trump's offer to send in the National Guard. So here is what Ted Wheeler wrote in an open letter that he thought was so clever and so powerful to President Trump. Here is what Democratic mayor of Portland said, quote, yet again, you, President Trump, said you offered to aid Portland by sending in federal law enforcement to our city on behalf of the city of Portland. No, thanks. We don't need your politics of division and demagoguery. Portlanders are on to you, Ted Wheeler says. We have already seen your reckless disregard for human life and your bumbling response to COVID, the COVID pandemic. And we know you've reached the conclusion that images of violence or vandalism are your only ticket to reelection. Okay, if that's the case, if this is all helping Donald Trump, which I think it is, by the way, then why won't you quell the violence? Like, why won't you be the one to suppress the violence then? A Trump supporter was murdered in Portland over the weekend in cold blood. A group of Trump supporters drove through downtown Portland. Probably not the smartest thing to do. Wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't have encouraged other people to do it. But they do have the constitutional right to do that. And that should not mean that they are at risk of being murdered for doing that. Uh, The rioters were blocking traffic. A guy apparently got out of his car and got shot in the chest twice, allegedly by someone who goes by the nickname 100% Antifa. And he also has a Black Lives Matter raised fist tattooed on his neck. So I think we know what cause he represents. Uh, his real name is Michael Forrest Raynol. He murdered the guy in cold blood. We saw the video. Um, and no, as an aside, this is not like this is not equivalent to the 17 year old police supporter um, in Kenosha, Kyle Rittenhouse, who I don't think, by the way, should have been there. Like, I don't think that he should have been a vigilante going there armed, knowing that there are violent protests going on. But he is being charged with first degree murder for killing two people. But we saw the video. We didn't see the first video of uh, of him shooting someone. We saw the second video. The guy came up to him, tried to smash him in the head with a skateboard. And Kyle Rittenhouse shot him twice. Another guy came up to him with a handgun in his face. Kyle Rittenhouse shot him in the arm. The guy survived. The other two did not survive. 
We don't know the full story yet. I don't think Kyle Rittenhouse should have been there, a 17-year-old with a gun. It shouldn't have happened, but he is not going to get convicted of first-degree murder. You see clearly uh, you see clearly from the video what happened. This is not premeditated murder where he went there to specifically go murder someone. It's just not going to happen. And this guy, this 100% Antifa guy who killed the Trump supporter, he's probably not going to be charged with first-degree murder either because it probably wasn't premeditated. Um, But uh, do I think that these situations are exactly the same? No. Do I think both of them shouldn't have happened? Yes. Do I wish no one would have died, whether it's by the hands of Kyle Rittenhouse or this 100% Antifa guy? Yes, of course. I'm always for the preservation of life. I don't like violence. I don't like killing. I'm not cheering on Kyle Rittenhouse as it kind of seems like some people are. Because I don't think that the violence and the killing is good. I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's helping anything. And I don't want to see image bearers of any stripe uh, being killed. But do I think that Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be charged with first degree premeditated murder? No, I don't. I think the video makes it fairly obvious what was going on there. And I don't think these two cases are the same. When the 100% Antifa guy just said, you can see in the video, uh, he says, we've got another one right here. And he points the gun at the guy's chest and shoots him twice. It's different. It wasn't self-defense at all. There's no even, there's no case or argument for that at all. So it is different. And uh, by the way, here are the the left-wing rioters cheering on the the murder of the Trump supporter in Portland. By the way, there's no evidence that this guy that was murdered was a Nazi or a fascist. Like, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. But this is, again, this is like a tactic of the Bolsheviks. This is a tactic of communists throughout history, is that everyone who is not a communist is a fascist. So no matter how compassionate you are, even if you posted the black square, even if you are totally sympathetic to the BLM cause, they are going to call you a Nazi and call you a fascist, and they will not hesitate to kill you. They won't. They won't hesitate to kill you and your family in the name of fighting fascists and Nazis, and they will cheer after they do it. This is who these people are. Remember Proverbs 8.36, all those who hate me, God, love death. All those who hate God love death. They cheer on death. They will find any excuse to cause death. That is who these people are. This is their ideology. It is fueled by hate in the name of social justice and love. This is what communists have always been. This is how these left-wing revolutions have always started. So while all of this is happening, Democratic Mayor Ted Wheeler is saying, oh, we don't need your help, Trump. Thanks for offering yet again. We've got it. While law-abiding Portlanders are being affected, while people are dying. And like I said, CNN, MSNBC, Democratic politicians, they have been ignoring this for months. Congressman Jerry Nadler was asked about the violence a few months ago on video. He said it was a myth. He said, oh, that's a myth that's not really happening. And that has been the mentality of most Democrats in Congress. The liberal news media have been saying that these are peaceful protests and demonstrations. Uh, Joe Biden, for a long time, has mostly ignored it until last week. Things have gone too far. It is impossible to ignore. After everything happened in Kenosha and things were burned to the ground, innocent people's lives and livelihoods were taken away, innocent people assaulted by these rioters. 
it was too much to ignore. So we have some competing narratives going on on the left right now because they can't accept the fact that this is their base. They can't accept the fact that this is their worldview taken to its logical conclusion. They can't accept the fact that this is an organization, Black Lives Matter, that they have been glorifying and propping up for the past few years, that they are the ones in many of these cases carrying out this violence and this crime. They can't accept that because it's embarrassing for them. And again, they're afraid. They're afraid of these groups and they also know they need the votes of these groups. So a few different narratives, three different narratives that I think are going on on the left. Number one, we still have the eh, violence isn't really happening. These are mostly peaceful protest narrative. CNN had a Chiron last week. If you're watching this, I'll put it up uh, when their reporter was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that said fiery, but mostly peaceful protests. He was standing in front of an incinerated building, like a building that is up in flames. It was very ironic in a, in a sad kind of way. The second narrative that is going on right now. And this is going to lead us down a a rabbit trail that is relevant, but it's going, it's a a little bit long. So you're just going to have to stick with me. There are some lists and some sub lists in here. But the second narrative that is going on right now, the, okay, yes, there are riots and looting, but it's fine. This is justified. This is just what it is. It's the reason why Ayanna Presley said on MSNBC, as long as there is unrest in our lives, there's going to be unrest in the streets. AOC has said we have to address all of these um, all of these policy issues before we can criticize the riots. I would say this is the position of the entirety of the squad. All the people who idiotically say, why do you care more about property than lives? As if property doesn't represent people's lives and livelihoods, as if these riots aren't killing actual people as if this is an effective and proportionate response to the cause that they claim to be fighting for. Again, you're punishing people who did nothing wrong. Business owners, law abiding citizens, black, white, poor, rich, whatever. You're punishing people who did not do anything, which is the definition of injustice. NPR ran a piece this week titled One Author's Argument uh, in Defense of Looting. So this is from the article, quote, writer Vicki Osterweil's book In Defense of Looting came out on Tuesday. When she finished it back in April, she wrote that a new energy of resistance is building across the country. Now, as protests and riots continue to grip cities, she argues that looting is a powerful tool to bring about real lasting change in society. Isn't it interesting that she guessed that looting and rioting was going to happen before George Floyd was killed? Like in April, uh, she was talking about this. She was saying that there is an uprising that is going to come across the city. It's very, very interesting. She says, The rioters who smash windows and take items from stores are engaging in a powerful tactic that questions the justice of, quote, law and order and the distribution of property and wealth in an unequal society. It attacks the idea of property. So you get to the heart of that property relation and demonstrate that without police and without state oppression, we can have things for free. Importantly, I think especially when it's in the context of a black uprising like the one we're living in now, it also attacks the history of whiteness and white supremacy. The very basis of property in the U.S. is derived through whiteness and through black oppression. Wow. 
So she is saying the quiet part out loud. What she argues in her book and in this article is for the abolition of private property. She says it is a tool of oppression and looting and arson is resistance to private property. So this movement, and I've been saying this for a while, and I just want to keep reiterating this. This movement is not really fundamentally about police brutality. It is about the entire system of the Western rule of law. It is about capitalism. It is about America in general, the abolition of private property. What's happening with looting and rioting and damaging private property is not a spontaneous reaction of anger at injustice. This is strategic. Whoever is pulling the strings, whoever is funding this, whoever is organizing this, this is a tactic uh, against private property in the name of abolishing capitalism. The abolition of private property is a communist idea that has been championed by every communist dictator that has ever lived. So I want us to understand that, that people looting and stealing flat screen TVs and uh, burning down buildings and vandalism and all of this that, yes, the people doing it probably have no idea that they're part of the communist revolution. They really just want the flat screen TV and the alcohol and all the things that they're stealing. Um, But the people behind it, the force behind it, the ideology behind it is very strategic and it is very political. This is a communist idea of rebelling against private property in the name of alleviating oppression. But do you know, so in these communist revolutions at the end of all of this, uh, when they want to abolish private property and make sure that your family gets moved to a commune and does the things that they want, that is what communists envision. That is what they always want. Do you know how they take your property, your house, your guns, your car, all of it? They take it by force. They take it at gunpoint. They confiscate your property right before they tear apart your family and force you into the commune. That is always what happens. Please, for the millionth time, read about the killing fields in Cambodia, the gulags in Soviet Russia, the millions of murders in Mao's China and his great leap forward. This is not new. This is not the civil rights movement. This is much more like the Bolshevik revolution. This is much more like every communist revolution that has happened over the past 100 years that has resulted in suffering, in death, in murder, in oppression. Uh, There is a reason why China supports Black Lives Matter explicitly. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Zhao Lijian tweeted this a few months ago. Racism against ethnic minorities in the U.S. is a chronic disease of American society. In a tweet, another Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson, Hua Chongying, replied, I can't breathe, which has become a rallying cry for Black Lives Matter. All of this is very darkly hilarious, considering that China is extremely systemically xenophobic and racist, like in ways that we cannot even comprehend in America, where, by the way, we fought a war to end slavery. We led the way for the abolition of slavery. There are still slaves in China to this day. That doesn't mean that we didn't have a lot of injustice after slavery, but no country has fought as quickly or as valiantly against injustice and for uh, equal treatment under the law as the United States of America has China still has slaves to this day. They have over one million Uyghur Muslims right now in concentration camps. Xinjiang is a police state where Uyghur Muslims are capped. And by the way, where the NBA built a training camp. No big deal. We've talked about that before. Katie Yoder in townhall.com writes this about the treatment of Uyghur Muslims right now in China. This is just a devastating article. And I'm just warning you, it is graphic. We're about to talk about forced abortion. 
On August 17th, Radio Free Asia published a report by journalists Gul, uh, Gulkara Hoha and uh, Shoret Hosher. They interviewed a Uyghur obstetrician, Haisiet Abdullah, who confirmed forced abortions and infanticide in China. Before moving to Turkey, she spent more than a decade working in Xinjiang hospitals. Parents are allowed three children in rural areas and two in urban areas, and each child must be three to four years apart from the others. To enforce these rules, the hospital's participated in barbaric practices. Quote, there were babies born at nine months who we killed after inducing labor, the doctor said. Medical staff performed abortions on some women who were eight and nine months pregnant, she claimed, and would even kill the babies after they'd been born. One Uyghur woman said she escaped to Turkey in 2016, but not before she was forced to abort her fourth child in 2004. Uh, Bomuriam said that she was five months pregnant when officials gave me an injection through my belly button. It was a boy, she remembered. If my baby who was aborted were still alive today, he'd be 15 years old. It's very hard for me to read this. Zumret Abdullah trained as a nurse for four years at uh, Urumqi Medical University before working three years in the maternity ward. During her time there, she estimated that she had witnessed 90 forced abortions performed on Uyghur women. Uh, They take the women who are always crying, she remembered. Afterwards, they just threw the fetus in a plastic bag like it was trash. One mother begged to die after her seven-month-old baby was killed, she recalled. It took three more days to give birth. It was a proper baby. Another woman identified as Sumaya said that after her third child, she she underwent eight abortions. I would cry each time, she remembered. Usually the nurses would take it away, saying if it was a boy or a girl. One time the baby came out. It was obviously a boy and I could hold his little hand. I slept with him all night, crying beside him. So that is what is happening right now in China. And you will remember that their single child policy ended not that long ago. It went on officially for decades. They did the same thing to all women in China, forcing abortions at eight and nine months, even after birth, killing the baby. So it's interesting, though, that so-called pro-choicers here in America hardly ever have anything to say about this. If they were really pro-choice and not pro-abortion, you would think that they would. But this is communism, guys. Like, this is leftism played out to its logical conclusion. This is always the totalitarianism that leftism leads to. And communism is what is driving the revolution in our streets right now. A couple months ago, the New York Times reported that the Chinese were evicting all Africans from their apartments, refusing to let them eat in restaurants or stay at hotels in the name of coronavirus concerns. This is an evil, evil, xenophobic, racist regime who openly supports BLM for a couple reasons, I think. BLM is a communist movement, number one, and China is a communist government, and communists are always rooting for one another. Again, BLM leaders said on tape that they are trained Marxists. Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. They are communists, as we talked about in the episode, episode 272, which Black Lives Matter. The leaders are explicit supporters of communist dictator Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela and his violent predecessor Chavez. They're open about this. They believe that to be anti-capitalism is to be anti-racism. So it all goes hand in hand for them. The reason they have not denounced the riots or the looting is because they believe in it. They believe in the abolition of private property. And this is all much much less about black lives and much more 
about a communist revolution and communist revolutions always involve the abolition of private property, the nuclear family, faith, free speech, free enterprise and a free press. Always. BLM says on their site that they are for the dismantling of the nuclear family. They say that anti-capitalism is anti-racism. They are open about all of this. And yet you have Christians who are carrying water for them like they're actually fighting injustice. Uh, So that is reason number one that I think China, one of the most evil, if not the most evil regimes on the planet, is supporting them. They are communist comrades. Uh, Reason number two that China is supporting explicitly Black Lives Matter is that they want to see America divided and weak because they want to become the global superpower. And so they have to take America down because America right now is the global superpower. And we have been for a long time. Uh, China and Russia have long used propaganda in the United States to create and exacerbate racial tensions. It is what they do. Russia has done this for 100 years in America. They use propaganda within our media and now on our social media to ignite anger and violence. They take a real problem that America has had, racism that is a real problem that America has had. They seize upon it. Then they use propaganda to make the problem seem worse than it is. Russia and China love what's happening right now in the way of a communist revolution and the destruction of property and the murder of political enemies. It is what they have been working on in America for decades. China and Iran, the world's two most evil and powerful terrorist regimes, have said that they want Joe Biden to be president, obviously, because Biden has a history of being soft on both regimes while he was a vice president. Uh, Russia has said that they want Trump to win, apparently. But uh, these two things are, are, are not equivalent. They're just not. Russia has an economy the size of Texas. China is becoming the world's global superpower and wants world domination and has technology and weaponry and a propensity towards evil that is difficult for us to even imagine here. China is a thousand times more powerful than Russia. And so that is another reason why I could never vote for Joe Biden. Uh, Anyway, that all went under narrative number two that is being perpetuated, that looting and rioting is okay Because again, that is a communist idea. And this is a communist revolution that is happening right now. And let me just say, uh, the author also says that private property in that NPR article and in her book, she says that private property is actually rooted in white oppression in the United States, uh, white oppression of black people. Uh, The right to private property, guys, is found in the Bible. This is a biblical idea. The Bible is not a Western book. It's not an American book. I mean, this goes back uh, to the Magna Carta, the Western rule of law, the British rule of law, and then the Constitution, which was built on all of these things. The Bible, the Magna Carta, the British rule of law, the Constitution, they all have this in common, the protection of private property. So this goes back a long way. The protection of private property is God's idea. It's not a white person's idea. It is not America's idea. This is God's idea. It's very clear in the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not covet. So not only does God care about you not stealing your neighbor's stuff, you're not even supposed to look at it lustfully. Like you're not even supposed to want it. You're not even supposed to covet something or envy something or be jealous of something that is not yours. That is how much God cares about private property. Uh, God is very clear about that. And as Christians, uh, though we don't follow the cleansing laws of the Old Testament because Jesus became our cleansing once and for all when he was our sacrifice on the cross, we do still follow God's moral laws, including the Ten Commandments, which are reemphasized and doubled down upon by Christ, who says that obedience to the law must go right down to our hearts. So do not steal. 
not only you don't steal that which is not yours, but also do not covet. You don't even want that which is not yours. Now, Jesus compels us to voluntarily give to our neighbor and to help the poor and the sojourner. That is obviously very important to God. Uh, This was never a command, though, for the government to steal your earnings and property and forcibly give them to someone else. That is wicked. Uh, Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So God cares about private property. He cares about theft. He cares about covetousness. Property rights come from him. And when they are taken away, we always see the loss of life with it. People keep saying that property is less important than life. And yes, that is true. But again, the destruction of property has in this revolution and in every left-wing revolution throughout history resulted in not just the loss of livelihood and freedom, but also the loss of physical life. This is a wicked, wicked movement that is going on. And again, we don't conflate it with the people who are peacefully talking about real change and real reforms, even if I don't agree with those suggestions, even if I don't agree with the premise of all the peaceful protesters, I support their right to do that. And I support us having conversations and dialogue and all of that, even if I don't agree with it. But just realize you don't want to tacitly or explicitly latch on to a movement that is rooted in a communism and rooted in an ideology that is going to end in the destruction of everything you know and love, including your family, including the freedom of religion. That is what is behind all of this. Remember uh, Proverbs 28.5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. All these people that are quoting Micah 6.8, all these people saying that Jesus would be out there with the rioters. They're saying they're raising their fists in justice. They have no idea what justice means. Again, I'm not going to go through all the definitions of justice right now and what justice means according to God. Go back and listen to Monday's episode. But justice has a definition according to God. It's not retribution. It's not retaliation. It is not property damage. It is not starting with a false premise and then building a narrative off of that. It is not uh, fighting against hegemony and power dynamics. It is not categorizing people based on their skin color as oppressors or oppressed. It is not alleviating people of responsibility according to their skin color and ascribing guilt to people according to their skin color. That is not God's justice. Remember, God's justice is four things. And if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably memorized this by now. It is truthful. It is proportional. It is impartial. And it is direct. And the so-called justice that we are seeing in the streets that we are seeing from these left-wing movements are none of those things. So go back, listen to Monday's episode if you haven't already. Justice will never be found in doing what God calls unjust. You might be thinking, well, what about the injustices of systemic racism or police brutality? We've talked about those things a lot on this podcast, what they are and what they are not, what the real problems are, what they are not, what real solutions are, what they are not. But we don't get justice by adding more injustice. And God calls the destruction of property and theft unjust. Once again, while you never see Christianity and communism coincide, 
You never do because the two are diametrically opposed. That is why China is trying to rewrite the Bible to be more communist friendly. They got to take out those two commandments if they are going to make the Bible communist friendly. They've got to take away uh, any any idea of charity or voluntary giving if they want to make the Bible more communist. The two are diametrically opposed. Atheism is always the established so-called faith in these places because faith in God must be replaced in a communist state with faith in the state or faith in the party. I have seen people try to say that Jesus turning over tables is destroying property for a cause or destroying property for justice. That temple was Jesus's temple. That was his house. Matthew 24, 12 through 14 says this, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Uh, Jesus is referencing Jeremiah 7, 11, where God through Jeremiah is telling Israel they have made the Lord's house a mockery because of their continued disobedience. This is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, this is my house and you moneylenders are using it to rob people. You're using it for the wrong purpose. This is blasphemy. So Jesus is not going out and destroying property for a cause. He didn't light things on fire. He actually didn't destroy property at all. He drove them out of the temple. So the temple could be used for the purpose that he wanted it to be used for because this was his house. He is defending his house and his property and the weak and poor people who were being cheated in his house. And the Gentiles who were also being exploited and being turned away in this house. This is his property. This is his home. Uh, This is actually a great biblical story against theft because Jesus is saying that the people in his temple are sinning by being robbers. Uh, This story is a defense of people's right to their own stuff. This is Jesus's stuff. This is Jesus's house. This is much more a defense of uh, defending property than looting or rioting or tearing down property. Anyway, move. that was all under narrative number three that the left is perpetuating right now in light of these unignorable riots. Moving on to narrative number three, and this is the craziest one that they are perpetuating right now. These are right-wing riots. This is this is the new narrative, and it's really fun and funny. They are uh, saying that there's actually conservatives out there that are causing all of this chaos. This one comes to us by MSNBC host Joy Reid, who loves a good conspiracy theory. She loves it when the conspiracy theory was going about that Trump is taking down the USPS. She loved that conspiracy theory. She made up a whole conspiracy theory about herself. That these, quote, homophobic blog posts and tweets that she tweeted a long time ago, that she had actually been hacked by people, that they wrote these tweets and it wasn't her. She loves a good conspiracy theory. And she keeps on getting promoted by MSNBC. And her latest conspiracy theory is this. She says, quote, let me repeat this for those inventing the idea of Black Lives Matter riots. BLM does not riot. They march against police violence and note that those caught setting fires, assaulting and shooting people are consistently of the right, not the left, she says. Then she links to articles that do not support this statement at all. MSNBC tweeted this. If Trump wanted to end the violence in American cities, he could simply go on his Twitter feed and tell his supporters to go home, Joy Reid says. Trump is openly doing the opposite, encouraging more violence, saying that the writers are his supporters. It's really incredible. I'm pretty sure that these people 
have admitted that they are left-wingers, have admitted that they are a part of BLM and Antifa. Uh, These conservatives apparently are the ones in only left-wing cities. Like, they're they're the ones dominating Portland and Seattle, New York City and D.C. So these are conservative riots happening in only left-wing cities. And the left-wing mayors and the leaders in these cities and states are letting right-wing people have riots and destroy property in their cities. That makes a whole lot of sense. Is it is it conservatives? They're yelling at diners outside in D.C., um, telling them that they need to raise their fist in black power and that they need to admit whether or not they're a Christian. Was it conservatives that were harassing all of the people that went to Trump's speech the other night, the last night of the RNC, when they were leaving the White House, that were assaulting and harassing a Rand Paul about Breonna Taylor? Those were conservatives doing that. It's conservatives throwing bricks and tire hubs at police officers. It's conservatives who are writing ACAB. That means all cops are bad or um, uh, another word that I cannot say on this podcast. And they're writing BLM on all buildings and calling for the disbanding of the police publicly. Those are conservatives doing that. If that is the case, why has every left wing outlet for the past three weeks He said that these are peaceful protests. Why are they defending the protests? Why have you guys been saying that these either aren't happening or that they're totally peaceful? If these were right wing riots, do you honestly think that any liberal outlet would have stopped covering these for even a second over the past 100 days that they've been happening? If these are right wing riots, why are left wing authors and Congress people defending their looting and rioting? Do you honestly think Ayanna Pressley would be saying there have to be unrest in the streets while there is unrest in our lives if these were right wing? riots. If these are right-wing riots, why did Kamala Harris back in June post about donating to the Minneapolis Freedom Fund, which supplied money to bail out violent rioters that were going to jail? The Federalist reports this, quote, among those bailed out by the Minnesota Freedom Fund is a suspect who shot at police, a woman accused of killing a friend, and a twice convicted sex offender, according to court Uh, records reviewed by the Fox 9 investigators. So that is who Kamala Harris tried to help raise money for. Yes, she is definitely the person who I want in charge. She is certainly a champion for justice. Joe Biden gave a speech in Pittsburgh on Monday saying that the violence and burning must end, but he didn't specifically call out BLM. He didn't call out Antifa. He didn't call out the left at all. Said that this is Donald Trump's fault. Says that he is uh, refusing to tell the truth and help The fact is that that is propaganda that Trump has tried time and again to send help to Portland, to send help to other areas. And you've got Democratic mayors like Ted Wheeler saying, no, we don't want your help. When he did send the feds to Portland to protect federal property, which, of course, is within their jurisdiction and part of their job, uh, the media, including The New York Times, called him a fascist, said that they didn't need them, that they are just causing the chaos and the violence. Of course, that was a lie. Biden tried to say that Trump is the number one uh, or is the reason that murder and crime are up in America. Crime is uh, obviously a, a city and a state issue, mostly. And crime is a problem in Democratic cities exclusively, almost due to Democratic policies. 
So, no, I don't believe that Biden is going to make America safer. I don't think that he has what it takes because he represents the leftist worldview that we are seeing play out to its logical conclusion in the streets right now. All of this started when he and Obama were in office. We didn't have BLM and Antifa before Obama Ferguson happened under Obama and Biden. uh, Obama invited BLM to the White House and Biden, just like Obama always did, racialized the issue and blamed police officers in this speech, which, again, just raises the tensions and it gives these protesters, these rioters cover Uh, the refusal to call out specifically who these people are and what they are rioting and burning and being violent for uh, the refusal to call all of that out, to call out their movement. It just gives justification and an excuse and cover to these people to keep doing it. This is why Biden and Trump are so close in the polls right now. Despite the onslaught of media hate toward Trump, people aren't stupid. People can see people are not buying into this narrative that this is a right wing riot happening in exclusively left wing cities under left wing policies being defended by left wing people. They can read. They understand what's going on and they understand what kind of uh, cities these are going on in now. All of this is going on. All of this is making a lot of people who didn't know if they were voting for Trump. They're thinking about voting for Trump now because they know that he's the law and order candidate that he has tried to help that the liberal cities refuse to help. And so they're thinking of voting Republican locally um, as much as they can in the future. And they are thinking of voting for President Trump because they're just not buying into the narrative. But there are several reasons. White people would vote for President Trump. Obviously, you guys know, listening to this podcast, that I have several reasons why I plan to vote for President Trump, and you do too. Uh, But you have the audacity of people with all this going on in liberal cities, with the weakness of Democratic leaders. Do you have uh, the audacity of people like Design Mom? She is an Instagrammer, a blogger. I don't follow her. So I don't really know. I've seen her tweet threads a couple times. She had a very silly pro-abortion tweet thread a while ago. She's an avid anti-Trumper. She did a long tweet thread about uh, your inability to be a decent person and gain her respect if you are a Trump supporter. Here's how she ended her very long Twitter thread. Quote, you can't support Trump and also be a decent human being. You can't support Trump and earn my respect. Want to be a decent person? Don't want to worry about being shunned? You're in luck. The solution is easy and free. Stop being a Trump supporter. Don't vote for Trump. She says, design mom, uh, that you are not worthy of respect and she will block you if she knows you're a Trump supporter, which is just amazing with all the division that's going on, with all the violence that's going on right now, with people being killed for their political leanings. She is just stoking those flames of division as much as she can. And of course, she does it in the name of love and tolerance. First of all, I think it's important to note that I don't know anyone who wants her respect. Like, I don't know her. She's a total stranger to me. I'm not interested in having the respect of uh, anyone who talks to people like this or who has this kind of mentality. And I don't think anyone is bothered one bit by not gaining her respect because they're voting for Donald Trump. So what she's saying is that you cannot be a person who disagrees with the policies and the platform of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party 
And therefore, uh, know that your only other option is Donald Trump and be a decent person. It doesn't matter how much you feed the homeless, according to people like her, how much time and energy goes into loving and serving those around you, how much you love your children or grandchildren, how awesome of a mom or grandmother you are. Uh, It doesn't matter how much time you put into making the lives of those around you better. You, according to Design Mom, are a bad person person. Uh, The veteran who sacrificed for his country and is voting for Trump because Trump has strengthened the military and managed to not start a war. His presidency, apparently, according to Design Mom, this person isn't worthy of our respect despite his sacrifice. The immigrant who fled from Cuba or the Middle East to make a better life for him and his family and is voting for Trump because of his economic policy. This is not a decent person, according to this woman. The mom who's raising the special needs kid who is getting bullied at school for being autistic and relies on school choice in order to put her child in a better school for them and is voting for Trump because he has supported school choice. This person, this mom, apparently is not a decent person, not worthy of respect. The grandmother and grandfather who grew up in Soviet Russia or who remember Soviet Russia and are voting for Trump because they know what happens when leftism takes over. They're not decent people, according to this person. The parents who lost their daughter to the violence of an illegal immigrant and are voting for Trump because he knows uh, they know that he supports strong borders. They're not decent people. How about Kayla Mueller's parents, the girl who was kidnapped in the in Syria by the Islamic State in 2013 while doing humanitarian work in Turkey? She was tortured, raped and murdered. Uh, She was her family was completely ignored by the Obama and uh, Biden administration. They spoke at the RNC. She was in captivity, Kayla Mueller, for 18 months, and Obama and Biden did nothing to save her. It was the Trump administration who launched Operation Kayla Mueller and killed the leader of the Islamic State, who also we know raped Kayla. Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi, the left lambasted Trump for doing this, for launching this operation, by the way, when it happened, said it was inciting war. Uh, This is the kind of leadership the left has, weak at all times not interested in America's lives and Americans' lives, always acquiescing, always soft on evil. Are Kayla Mueller's parents not decent people for voting for Trump? Uh, Alice Johnson, who was released from prison thanks to Trump, who turned her life around, became a Christian, and now is making the world around her better. Is she not a decent person for voting for Trump? Honestly, design mom, that was the most privileged, snobby argument that you could make. You don't know why people vote the way they do. I guarantee you that I believe that your ideas and that your politics are just as dangerous and just as grotesque as you believe mine to be. And I would never say something like this to you or to anyone else who disagrees with me. If you disagree with me, if you vote for Joe Biden, as conservative as I am, as dangerous as I think a Biden president uh, presidency would be, as dangerous as I think his policies are, I don't lose all respect for you if you vote for Biden. There are a million different reasons why you might be voting for Biden. And I might disagree with every single one of them. Maybe I agree with some of them. But I would still welcome you into my home. I would still be your friend. I would still share a meal with you. I would still love you. I don't lose all respect for you. I don't say that you're not a decent person. You could give all of your time to feeding the homeless and helping those around you and being a great mom and whatever it is you do. And because of your vote, I'm going to write you off as a bad person. Trust me, again, 
I think Biden is just as dangerous as all anti-Trump people think that Trump is and his policies. But I do not hate the people that vote for him. I do not hate the people that disagree with me. Now, it's important to say that we know uh, that this design mom is not a believer. So I cannot expect her to have a soft heart. I can't expect her to have a heart of flesh that Jesus gives. He replaces the heart of stone for the heart of flesh. But as Christians, we do not cancel people. We do not cancel people based on their politics. That doesn't mean that we don't call out sin or that we don't disagree or that we don't speak truth, but we don't cancel people based on their politics. If if someone is voting for Biden, you don't cancel them. God in Christ chose not to cancel you, even though he had every right to. So we don't cancel people. We forgive people. We reconcile with people. We seek relationships. We seek peace with people. We seek to love and to serve and to be hospitable to people, even people who are diametrically opposed to us. Uh, We pray for our enemies. We pray for the people that hate us. We pray for the people on the other side of the aisle. We pray for the far left rioters. We pray for them. We love them. And again, we seek peace with everyone. This attitude towards a Biden voter or a Trump voter that this design mom tweeted about is diametrically opposed to the gospel and it should make us sad. It should make us sick. And honestly, this kind of bitterness and resentment will weigh her down and will weigh other people down uh, who hold this same attitude more than it will hurt anyone who loses their respect. I don't care about your respect. I don't think any other Trump supporter cares about design moms respect. Um, I can think that someone is wrong. I can think that their ideas are dangerous and I can still respect them as someone who is made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be friends with everyone. There are people whose moral values are just so opposed to mine that bad company corrupts good character. I don't have to be friends with them. I don't have to hang out with them. I don't have to condone their sin. I don't have to pretend like everything they believe is fine and just don this attitude of moral relativism. No, I don't think so at all. You stand on truth and you don't apologize for it. But um, I am not going to hate someone simply because they are voting for a different person. That is so gross and the exact opposite of what we need in this country. The exact opposite. So even while we speak truth, even while we stand for the things that we know to be true, standing on the truth of God's word, allowing that to inform our politics, we don't shun people who disagree with us, even if we passionately disagree with them. So we just have to remember that it is the most self-righteous, arrogant a disgusting thing that I have read and all the people applauding it are people who claim to be, of course, uh, loving and tolerant. It's just a reminder, you guys, and I'll end on this, that the world standards of compassion are hypocritical and stupid and you don't need to try to meet them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and that is it. You don't need to go beyond that. You don't need to do the work beyond that. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. There was, speaking of neighbors, just really quickly, there was a first-generation immigrant from Mexico who put out um, a Trump flag in in her front yard. Her neighbor sent her this long, self-righteous letter saying that, you know, it's good to know that we can't rely on you to be a good neighbor and be compassionate and be loving toward us since you voted for Donald Trump. That is just so toxic. It's so incredibly toxic. Again, a first-generation immigrant from Mexico parents did everything that they could to give her a better life and to get her out of uh, a country that is riddled with violence and corruption. And because she's voting for Trump, because of his policies, she's not a decent person. It's just gross, guys. And we have to resist that mentality. We have to resist the tribalism. We can disagree and still love people and be hospitable and show the light of Christ as much as we can. 
don't worry about meeting the world standards of compassion. They're so stupid and fleeting and uh, incongruent. They don't make any sense at all. Okay, uh, this was a long episode. We'll be back here on Friday interviewing Wayne Grudem. I'm so excited about that. If you don't have his book, Systematic Theology, go and get that. It is like the best resource besides the Bible that I have for theological issues. Monday, we'll be doing a replay of a popular episode because it's Labor Day. And so uh, we will be back after that. Thank you guys so much for listening. See you here on Friday.